0: Marcus, imagine it's the summer of 1951. You are immersed in the R&B that is emerging in America and flying out of the radio every day. And then a sound comes out you've not
1: heard before. I can only imagine what that would have been like.
0: I would say that you could only imagine it, except for because of something that you said about six months ago in a random conversation, we are here, and it is episode 100 of the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll, and what we're here to discuss today is that song that you mentioned randomly six months ago, and it's true, the song Rocket 88, released in 1951, really set off a lot of things that weren't already happening as rock and roll began to emerge from the muck and the grind of of the music that was out there coming together, congealing in the 1950s to change the world and the way we listened to music and the way we approached our lives in a lot of ways.
2: You women have heard of Jalop, you've heard the noise they make. But let me introduce my new Rocket 88. Yes, it's great, just one way. Everybody likes my Rocket 88. Baby, we'll ride in style, moving all along.
0: All because of what became rock and roll, we're doing this podcast, right?
1: Absolutely, 100% because of this song.
0: Well, that's what you said about six months ago you said to me, you said, you know, this song Rocket 88 really is the reason we do this podcast. And I was like, what? <laughs> and when you explained your theory to me, I said, you know what? We have to do an episode about this song. I mean, it is one of the most rockin' songs in the early rock and roll pantheon, right? Inspired by the new Oldsmobile Delta
1: 88 and life. And the fact that it was written partially while they were driving on Highway 61 to Memphis to record the song, and then they rehearsed it even more in the hotel and made it the magical, beautiful sound that we hear.
0: Now, in case you don't know what we're talking about exactly here, uh, the song Rocket 88 was originally credited to Jackie Brinston and his Delta Cats, but it was actually really Ike Turner and his Kings of Rhythm. It was number one on the R&B chart, which was the king of what was cool in America as far as uh, sales and and airplay, Billboard's R&B chart, before R&B crossed over into the mainstream, before it morphed into rock and roll, before it became safe for white American living rooms.
2: I'd like to tell you that we're going to do a sad song for you. This song here is one of the saddest songs we've ever heard. You ain't nothing gonna
0: talking about this and I looked into it and I love the version, the original version recorded uh, in Memphis by Sam Phillips, right? Mm -hmm. But I never understood why they called it Jackie Brenston and his Delta Cats instead of Ike Turner and his Kings of Rhythm as far as the uh, artist performing the song. And I dug into it because of us doing the podcast. So I Mm. actually started really digging into it. And what I found is that it's not dissimilar to what Norman Petty did with Buddy, Holly, and the Crickets. He anticipated the different releases, right? Well, Sam Phillips thought he was going to have another Ike Turner release coming up. So he didn't want to spoil the, the situation with that next record, which, by the way, did nothing. Mm -hmm. or nowhere near as much as Rocket 88. And he he put the name Jackie Brenston and his Delta Cats on Rocket 88, and it became a number one hit. And that was facilitated, and here we go, we're making connections, by licensing the record to Chess Records in Chicago.
1: (laughs) I mean, all these connections are there. Think about it. Rocket 88 was blues, it was swing, it is a little bit of rockabilly, a little bit of country. It's got the jazz elements. It's got the soul, the R&B for that time element. So yep. it's a big mishmash of all of that. And then it puts it all together. Sam Phillips puts it all together in the studio and they completely change the sound of music with one song.
2: You women have heard of Jalop you've heard the noise they make But let me introduce my new Rocket 88 Yes, it's straight just one way Everybody likes my Rocket 88 Baby, we'll ride in style Moving all along
0: It's the Amellant's History of Rock and Roll, Ray Coop and Marcus in the Darkest together discussing a song that Marcus put forth, the, the proposition that is the root of our entire podcast. And in some ways, a lot of people will say it's the root of rock and roll too, Marcus.
1: It really is. I mean, we've been looking and we've been digging in. And I think that at the end of the day, even though there are probably other songs that were played... But not recorded that were similar to this, this was the first rock and roll recorded song. Well, this
0: is what I want to talk to you about a little bit here on this week's podcast because a lot of people took inspiration from this new Oldsmobile car, right? Uh, that wasn't the only song singing its
1: praises. There was another song singing its praises.
2: I had to have a boogie with the woogie, wouldn't wait. Bought me a long black cap like eight. It's all reeked, solid line. I'll joy-jumpin' Cadillac's on time. It's the Cadillac boogie, boogie-woogie rollin' along.
0: Well, kind of. When you look at it, there was a song called Cadillac Boogie boogie and it had a reference to 88 it was by jimmy liggins in 1947 i found that because i was really interested in finding out what the heck was going on here and was this really the first rock and roll song and like everything else we've discovered in rock and roll marcus the truth is somewhere between all of the positions taken uh yes uh, there's other references to 88 There's other references to the uh, Delta. There's other references to uh, elements of the song. There's even parts of the song that appear in other genres. But when you look at it, Pete Johnson did Boogie Woogie and jazz. He was a pianist. He was great. He was great in his time. And he did Boogie Woogie. And Boogie Woogie is adjacent to rock and roll at any stage of the game, if you think about it, right?
1: You're absolutely right. The Boogie Woogie piano really makes you move. It makes your toes tap. Makes, makes your, your booty move. shake. It just makes you groove. <laughs> so you can't help but feel it. You also have the element of swing, which I forgot to mention as well. And you feel that swing movement in there, that swing groove, I should say, in there. Life. As well, and I'm glad you mentioned Pete Johnson's Rocket 88 Boogie as well Because that's another one of those early songs that we have learned about That helped us get to Rocket 88 And like you, I listened to him after listening to Rocket 88 And you can hear it, and you can feel it And one of the things I noticed in, about Cadillac Boogie Is that the sax was really meaty
0: Let's talk about uh, Pete Johnson for a second because he liked it so much. The Rocket '88 Boogie. He did two versions, two parts. Remember the famous two-part singles where there was on A and B because the song was so long. Yeah, uh, I think What You Say from Ray Charles was one of those. Now that came out in 1949, right? So you got 1947. Uh, with Jimmy Liggins doing the Cadillac boogie. And then you got a Rocket 88 boogie in 1949, two years before Ike puts pen to
1: paper. Now, do you think Ike was hearing these songs or was it more the feeling was around? Oh, I think he was definitely hearing the songs. It's obvious that he was part of the scene. So my guess is he probably knew these cats. And at some point, their musical paths had crossed.
0: Well, there's something we should look into for a future podcast. How much paths cross between guys uh, on what was, I guess, the early Chitlin circuit with Johnson and Liggins and Ike. Let's talk about Ike Turner for a second because he's a key figure in all this.
1: Before we start, can we acknowledge the fact that we know he is not the nicest of human beings and he's done some really shitty things in life and he was a total fucking dick to tina turner we will acknowledge that but that aside his importance in the early foundations of rock and roll should not go unnoticed or unmentioned
0: he's a foul human who yes. did terrible things and i think we were going to get there but i i know how you feel and how i feel about that mm-hmm. what he's done in his time i think he's even acknowledged he was wrong Whether he's acknowledged it or not, uh, the things he did were well well chronicled. Yes. And this is before he knew Tina, before he did almost anything. And maybe what I'm talking about or where I was heading kind of leads us around to what your point is. He gets a chance. He gets an inspiration. He pulls together elements. He's going to change the way things are. And he's right. But he doesn't get the credit. And in the end, I don't think he got a lot of the money out of it, too, because uh, you know you can only split a penny so many ways. and they they, they worked with Sam, who got part of the deal and then he de- makes a deal with the chess brothers, right? And uh, that makes a deal for them, and they get him more of the penny, and all of a sudden there's not much there. So he not only doesn't get the credit, he doesn't get the big money. Now he'll make the big money later. But it begins a trend towards bitterness and anger that continues, maybe that was already there. Maybe it was part of the lifestyle or the way he was brought up, but things changed between when they recorded Rocket 88 and when he started laying hands on people like Tina Turner, and it, she wasn't the first or the last, I'm sure, No, nope. and things changed, but he didn't, and I think that that's what led to that, and led to him being one of the more tarnished individuals in rock and roll history because of
1: it. His bitterness is understandable from a professional standpoint, being professionally yes. bitter is a hell of a lot different than taking it out on the people you love or doing something along those lines, which I can't understand why people would even take that anger out. And look, we all get frustrated and we all channel differently, but it's understandable that I should say that he was professionally bitter after not being given the credit that he deserved for what he did for that song and how it was finagled around him. Jackie Brenston ended up selling his share of... Rocket 88 to Sam Phillips for like $948.
0: A ridiculous amount considering the value. Yeah. In the second half, I want to talk more about that kind of stuff, but let me address Ike from how I've seen it through the years. Okay. I never understood how he behaved and why he behaved that way. Okay. And when we started looking into this and I saw that he got stuff stolen from him early, I thought, well, that could fuel a lot of the feelings that you have thing is most people can create a line between their professional life and their personal life and that's another episode for another time yeah. i think we need we could look into that and i think the short answer is you combine bitterness with narcissism and what we have not really talked about that much is the role of narcissism in rock and roll and we should probably do a series about that to be honest we could do you're a whole right. podcast about that you're right it's Pretty incredible stuff. Some of the things that have happened because of the narcissism of the participants in the course of the decades of rock and roll history. So so that's when I think about the whole like turn thing. It's it's terrible. I guess nine forty was a lot of money back in those days. You're talking about the time frame of the nineteen fifties. It was a lot more money and meant a lot more than it would today and I'm not sure how that translates but the fact is is that people were taken advantage of people who were in need were taken advantage of not just in this instance but as we have learned in our rock and roll explorations throughout the years people have been taken advantage of
1: the money men seem to want to take advantage of the artists quite often and profit off of their art. And that's been going on since the dawn of business, as we have seen. And it's really frustrating because I would be willing to bet money if they were white, they would have received a little bit more money than what they got because of the color of their skin.
0: No way to tell, but that's a pretty decent proposition there, so tell you what i'm gonna propose something to you right now yeah what are you gonna propose a couple cold ones because that free 10-ouncer at crooked eye for listening to the imbalanced history of rock and roll i found out it can apply to us and they want to offer a special thank you to all of the listeners of the imbalanced history of rock and roll
1: what kind of special are
0: you talking about everybody likes free beer marcus how about a free 10-ouncer when you go in and mention the imbalance History of Rock and Roll when you sit down and order your first drink? Free 10-ouncer, yes. Some of the most amazing brews you're going to find at any brewery in the Philadelphia area right there at York and Montgomery in the heart of Hatboro. We're talking about Crooked Eye Brewery. Pouring the cure for what ails you since 2014.
1: My favorite of all the crooked eye beers is the black eye stout. I love Oh, yeah, you love that. that. Yes, you do. So smooth and just so full of flavor. Jeff manages to get more flavor,
0: and the way he kind of masks the edge on the hops is, huh, oh, beautiful. And you can't beat. Going in, sitting down, saying, hey, I listened to The Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. May I please have that free (laughs) 10-ouncer?
1: Free beer. Why not stop in and get a growler, a pint, a crowler? Take some home with
0: you. And don't forget, the entertainment's back. It's coming back in stages. There's more and more stuff going on. And find out what events are back and when they are. It's Crooked Eye Brewery on Facebook. Right in the heart of Hatboro, the cure for what ails you. And a free 10-ouncer when you mention the imbalanced history of rock and roll, and we thank them for their support.
3: Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them.
0: It's all about Rocket 88 on this, the 100th episode of the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. Uh, when we started out, I talked about that conversation we had a while back about this song and, and making it a, an interesting podcast for us to cover because of how much it influenced what we've become as a podcast. And it occurred to me that uh rocket 88 in some ways could be our theme song (laughs) but i don't want anybody coming after me for their share of one cent that's all i'm going to say we talked a lot about sam phillips and his role in rocket 88 and the foundation of rock and roll kind of starts there in a lot of ways he was in a tough spot and when he gets these guys in the studio he feels the magic that's rocket 88
2: Is smart and designed, black top and the mind with me
0: all town for joy. Your horn, and in a lot of ways what happens in the studio uh, recording this song created the buzz that he knew what was going on and drew other artists to him helped to create Sun Studios and helped to create Sun Records a few years later and led to so much the million dollar quartet.
2: Well, that's all right, mama. That's all right, for you. That's all right, mama. Just any way you do it,
0: that's all right. Maybe doesn't come together. Maybe they don't all come through Sun Records and help to fuel the funds that he needed to survive as a label and for his life. And that's what happens. And a lot of it stems from the sessions for Rocket 88 there in 1951. Think about it. Elvis comes by, Johnny Cash comes by, Carl Perkins, The Killer, Jerry Lee Lewis. These guys were the basis of Sun Records. And other people who weren't even on his label wanted to use the studio, so it really took off based on the success, the number one success on the R&B charts in 1951, with
1: this little ditty called Rocket 88. I think it'd be a great idea to do a podcast about songs that changed rock and roll or an episode about songs like this that changed rock and roll because of the impact songs like this have had on the direction of music. And the whole recording history, I'm glad we were talking about that part because the whole recording history is really fascinating. It was recorded before the term rock and roll was used or applied to as a category of music. It wasn't used that way. It was used in the slang for having sex at that time still. And yeah, or we're
0: rocking it. you know. Like yeah. There were there, there were all kind of permutations of it, and it really wasn't
1: applied to music at all at that point. Yeah, The band that traveled up Highway 61 to make the record in Memphis was Ike Turner, Jackie Brenston, Willie Kizert, Kies- and Willie Bad Boy Sims. They were all 17 to 20 years old, driving to Memphis from their rural homes. And then on the road to Memphis, Kizzert's amp fell out of the trunk, and that ripped the cone. Later, he stuffed the cone with brown wrapping paper, and that gave that amp that fuzzy distortion sound that you hear in the song. and maybe even some of the extra meat you hear in the sacks and the keys as well. This is how shit happens in
0: rock and roll history, right? Yeah. Um we talked about famously about the situation with you really got me mm-hmm. and Dave Davies. I mean, rock and roll is filled with stories like that. And this is one of the earliest, if not the earliest <laughs> situations where an equipment malfunction comes into play. Uh famously, Jimmy Page in the studio recording is pissed off. He cannot get the sound he feels in his head. Out of the equipment that he's playing on for the solo in since i've been loving you he looks over in the corner there's a dirty dusty amp sitting there he goes what's that well let me try that because he's already kicked over two or three
1: amps that didn't work <laughs> <laughs> kind of put him out of commission temper so he tries
0: it but he tries it and that's where he gets the solo from That made it to led zeppelin three so yeah i think that that definitely contributed to that oh my god what is that sound kind of sound mm-hmm. that came out on that and you've got ike pounding the rocket 88s the rocket 88 is also uh slang for the keyboards Mm -hmm. you know you got 88 keys so it was the rocket 88s the rocket 88 so it all kind of tied in there and of course the inspiration that oldsmobile delta 88 which was fresh everybody wanted one because it was big and mean and fast and american
1: made out of steel (laughs) yeah. <laughs> Remember cars made of steel? Oh yeah, that thing would have that thing would have run through a brick wall at about sixty miles an hour back in those days. Those things were built like tanks. They were heavy and they were solid. Well, speaking of
0: solid, it's the sound that we're talking about here. And it caught the ear of one fella named Bill Haley. Now, he was with a group that would shortly change their name to the Comets and did a version of Rocket 88 once he heard the original version.
2: You women have heard it lot bees, you heard the noise they make, let me introduce you to my Rocket 88. Yes, it's great, just one way. Everybody likes my Rocket 88, cows will ride and style, moving all along.
0: He was in Bill Haley and the Saddlemen. They were kind of country. Think about that place that Buddy Holly was in right before he went rock and roll. Mm -hmm. And there's Bill Haley, long revered as one of the main proponents of rock and roll early on. One of the founders, right? And he hears Rocket 88 and does his version And that changes everything for him in the way that other artists will have everything changed for them in a moment in years to come. So Bill Haley and and the original are the two main versions of this. And I went looking for other versions of Rocket
1: 88. Did you have any luck? I saw some weird things on YouTube and I clicked on them and I'm like, and I'm like, what the fuck is this? It's not even worth (laughs) mentioning.
2: You've heard the noise they make But let me reintroduce my new Rocket 88 Yes, yeah, so straight, just won't wait Everybody likes my Rocket 88 Baby, we're riding in style, moving all
1: along There's also the Ike Turner one, which was recorded at that session as well, which is a little bit different because Ike Turner did the vocals. I didn't hear that one. It doesn't have the same meatiness that Jackie Brenston's version has. It has a Ike Turner smoothness to it that Jackie Brenston didn't have. But it made me go back and listen to all the songs that were mentioned as influences. Just to hear in that short period how rock and roll evolved so quickly and grew into this big fucking monster was unbelievable. It took just a little bit to really get that ball rolling. Maybe the ball
0: was perched at the top of the hill just (laughs) at the precipice ready to roll off the flat surface of the plateau and cascade down to the valley maybe it was ready to go and it just took a couple little nudges to push it in that direction and and i want to build on that theory it's not my theory but i want to build on that theory with some evidence Provided by Public Radio. Your tax dollars at work, Mark, is helping support us here on the podcast. (laughs) A a station called KNKX posted this article, and I thought it was an interesting supposition to make in regards to rock and roll. Because their question at the beginning of it is, what's the first rock and roll song ever recorded, right? Mm -hmm. Basically, they're talking about the elements that were necessary. Uh, And if you're going to set off an explosion, right? You need powder, you need a dry surface, and you need fire, right? Well, we kind of are looking for those three things right here. First things first. They felt you needed the elements of the blues. They said raw emotion and dominant guitar, which was not present in a lot of the Boogie woogie and other music that people were enjoying
1: so much. Yeah, big sax and big keyboards in the Boogie woogie sound.
0: Which would have influence on people like Little Richard. But they put forth the uh, concept that 1948's Boogie Chillin' from John Lee Hooker gives you the blues element that you need. And think about his influence on so many blues rockers through the decades. So that you take that, you throw at one part that, or maybe two parts that, because I like boogie chilling a lot. Then you take one part gospel, gospel music from the black church. They cite the Golden Gate Quartet from 1938 as their example in this article. My
2: Lord, Whoa, 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 Gospel train is gone You better get your biscuit You better set your house in know, friends You know, the ain't gonna be oh, Lord. Don't you hear the whistle? Whoa, whoa, Hear the bells a-tongue Don't you hear?
0: And you throw that in there. And then you throw in one part jump. Swing music, if you want to call it that. But jump was a little more raw, a little more rowdy. Stuff like Louis Jordan would be a good example. They put up the Saturday Night Fish Fry song from 1949.
2: Hey, if you ever been down in New Orleans, then you can understand it's yes, what I mean. Now, all through the week, as quiet as a mouse, but on Saturday night, to go from house to house. You don't have to pay the youth admission if you're the cook or the waiter or a good musician. So if you happen to be just passing by, stopping at the Saturday night fish fry, it was rocket. It was rocket. You never seen such a and until the break of dawn. It was rocket. It was rocket. You never seen
0: such a So you're talking about the, the elements? Uh, The the get you to the crest of that hill, Marcus. There's what this one concept is that you take and put them together in the bowl. And their summation is that you get the first ever rock and roll song when it comes out of the oven. And that's Rocket 88 from Jackie Brenston in 1951. So I think that that, they put it really, really well in this article. And they used audio clips and everything to illustrate it. And uh, congratulations and thank you. To uh, John Kessler and Nick Morrison for posting this back in 2014. I found this in my research shuffles, uh, because even though we're we're here in the new year and we're doing our 100th episode, when we recorded it, the research team was still on holiday. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to find this myself.
2: 8 <laughs> smart and designed, black like convertible top and the gas going
0: Anyway, thanks again to KNKX and to John and Nick for uh, feeding our informational flow here on this episode all about Rocket 88. On the imbalanced history of rock and roll brought to you as it always is by Crooked Eye Brewery and the heart of Hapro and by One CBD online at onecbd.com. Well, my friend, uh, this is an interesting, interesting dive that we're doing, and in the music accompanying it, it really isn't that different. The musical slice that we're in, everything's kind of similar. Uh, Except for the gospel. Yeah. Uh, But everything else is kind of very similar to the point of entry that we're talking about, Rocket 88. And so I think it kind of underlines our theorem, our uh, idea of why this song means so much to the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll podcast. It's kind of like the cornerstone.
1: It is the cornerstone completely. The art, not arguments, but the discussions made... The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I know people don't give that organization a lot of credit, but they officially an- acknowledge this at Rocket 88 as the first rock and roll song. And looking through, yeah, as but many-
0: wait a minute, wait a minute. Here's my problem with that because the- when they finally get around to saying something, they think that makes it true. I- if it was true today, because the Rock Hall had something no. to say about it, it's as true then. Back in the 50s or the 60s when people started saying it, it's nice that they finally caught up.
1: That's it, exactly what where I was going with that, because for many decades before the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame acknowledged it, it was acknowledged and discussed in the rock and roll world and by the scholars who study rock and roll, because research, timelines, there's nothing else like it before that, so it's where you have to start. And, it's so
0: funny that when we come around to it, th- that conversation we had with uh, Neander Paul, yeah. where we talk about that, is
1: <laughs> are things different <laughs> after
0: you're here than before they were? Then you're then you're a yeah. legend. You're a Hall of Famer, and you
1: know what? I think legend is more important than Hall of Famer when it comes to music. Absolutely, and. This song is legendary. We haven't even begun to talk about all the musicians that were tied to them that took parts of this song yet and made it into hits for them and borrowed pieces because the things were a lot looser with copyrights.
0: I think that rock and roll in general has proven to be a very shared element type uh, art form. He's so fun. The arguments in the courts sometimes are valid, sometimes aren't, uh, about copyright infringement and stuff like that. Mm. But basically, you're talking about three chords and a hip shake,
1: or in Punk (laughs) Rock's case, two chords and a a head bob. Below the waist and the cameras above the waist is what I was (laughs) going to say. At least at the beginning, brother. Because, boy, did the old folks lose their minds when Elvis shook his pelvis on TV.
0: And that's what you get. When you start with Rocket 88 out of 1951, the subject of this episode on the imbalanced history of rock and roll.
1: In my research, I came across some of the ties, which we have talked about a little bit with Little Richard and Elvis and Jerry Lee Lewis and so many other musicians, Chuck Berry, and how that circle is real small. and. Uh, amongst the black musicians, a lot of them played together and their paths crossed on the Chitlin' Circuit, so they were familiar with each other. But Little Richard talked about how he took the opening keyboards from Rocket 88, that opening keyboard jam, and he wrote "Good Golly Miss Molly" with that. Good Golly Miss Molly, sure likes the bomb. Oh, golly, Miss Molly. That song completely brought a whole new wave of music. Gospel now, you see it more in the pop and the R&B aspect of rock and roll versus more of a traditional rock and roll that you hear on the radio. You hear more symphonic stuff.
0: In regards to uh, the gospel?
1: Uh, Yeah, versus the gospel. You hear more symphonic in in the rock and roll that we play versus the gospel influence.
0: That's because everything changes, Marcus. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were other elements that weren't available to musicians in the 1940s and 50s that came around in the 60s and 70s that propelled the 80s and 90s and beyond. And by the way, that's as true in the R&B portion of the modern music program when it comes to sampling and uh, musical instrumentation. Mm -hmm. A lot of things change. You don't get to be funk if they don't invent synthesizers in the 60s, if things don't get electrified. Maybe the R&B of the 80s Is a lot more similar to the R&B of the 50s If there aren't electronics involved And things don't change And different ideas don't come into play yeah. But, you know, the point is You gotta go all the way back It all kind of t- it leads back to R&B and to jazz It all ends up leading back to the song That kind of turned things in in the direction Where where the 50s would go as far as rock and roll
1: And even in the research we did I can't find anything before it that sounds anything like it and granted we haven't listened to every single song or tons of songs from back then but
0: but we tried
1: we did try (laughs) and not only that if we would have heard something we would have definitely mentioned it we didn't hear anything that was even close to what rocket 88 is
0: and that's why we thought we would do this podcast. Always an interesting dive here on the imbalanced history of rock and roll. Buddy, we've been hearing from uh, a lot of our listeners. Um, one of them sent us uh, an email, actually, and I want to thank Abby Harms. I don't know where uh, Abby's from or if it's an Abby male or Abby female, the way it's spelled. But thank you for checking in and sending us an email at imbalancedhistory at gmail.com. Uh, Abby has an add-on to, oh, it looks like they're from the Philadelphia area based on their cell phone number. So Abby has an add-on and uh, their five rock and roll favorite Christmas songs as we requested. So I thought it'd be fun since we got an email and everything that we'd read them for everybody starting with just like christmas by low which i don't know that song
1: i don't know that song either but
0: i'm gonna have to go check it out thanks Abby. and yeah. uh, children go where i send thee by natalie merchant is her number four her number three is baby please come home by you too great two. and <laughs> funny because her number two is tim minchin I don't know if you know Tim Minchin, but he's a very, fun, very funny. Uh, White Wine in the Sun is his uh, Christmas song. It's number two. And uh, Abby's number one is The Pugs doing Fairy Tale in
1: New York. It was Christmas Eve, babe, in the drunk tank.
2: An old man said to me, on won't
1: see another one.
0: Uh her five favorite rock and roll Christmas songs and we thank her for or him, we're not sure. Uh but thank you uh for uh, sending those in. That's what we're talking about with this. We've been doing this podcast for a hundred episodes now. By the way, can we uh can we toast to a yes. hundred episodes uh before we sign off here? Uh th- toast to you, my friend. Cheers, toast the, to you for all the great work that you you do. Um, that we have made it to 100 episodes. They said it couldn't be done. (laughs) So you know what I say to them, man. Well, that sips for you, bro. Yeah, that
1: sips for you as well.
0: Yeah. So, and here's to the next hundred episodes. Cheers. Uh, We got a nice comment on Podbean, by the way. Did we? Uh, Haven't seen uh, it yet. I got a couple here. It's Mark and his name's Sauber and he's from Red Deer, Alberta, Canada. And he sent us actually a couple comments on Podbean's. I just came across them while we were getting ready to, to record today. And he said, new COVID hobby, podcasts, really enjoying your stuff. Thanks. Ginger Baker on drummer list. Oh, so he's adding his, uh, just his one important drummer. Yeah. And to the, uh, the five favorites that we did a while back. So. Uh, He also posted, hey guys, check out Trans-Siberian Orchestra, freaking amazing, Uh, saw Pink Floyd in 1976, and I think TSO equals them in a live performance, wow, that's heady stuff to say that. That's big. I know what he's talking about though, we should have Chris on sometime, and we could have had Paul on, Uh, they are the creators of Trans-Siberian Orchestra and it would have been great to have them both on great guys i've known them for a long long time we should have them on maybe next year before the holidays they'll be back on the road again yeah let's get them before they hit the road that is an amazing thing to see every year when you think about the holidays and and when they would come to philadelphia i was working at mgk so i would get to go on stage and bring them on and stuff like that you feel a little bit of that rock star shit man when you Mm -hmm. walk out there and people are going you know giving you the the big noise you know Mm -hmm. And one of the neat things was they always do uh, an element for charity where they can. And uh, giving money to Toys for Tots every year on stage, handing it off to the U.S. Marines is always a... It's one of those things you never forget. Yeah. Uh, And uh, so maybe we should do that next year around the holidays. Instead of doing our third straight top five Christmas favorite rock and roll songs, I don't
1: know. No, we should definitely look into getting TSO on because they're... They're fantastic, and they light the lives of kids up so much with what they do on stage. Their live shows are absolutely moving. My sister's son plays violin, and she took him to see TSO two years ago, and it was game-changing for that kid. I'll the, bet. the fact that the violins were electric and they lit up all the colors and there was smoke on the stage and they were running around and moving just blew him away. That's what I'm talking about. Never
0: fails to blow me away.
1: So we definitely need to get them on for the holidays next year. And to talk about how they have done this Christmas-inspired symphonic music would be really fun.
0: You know, it started at the Tower Theater in Philadelphia.
1: Did not know that. One of the things we'll learn when we do it next year, I'll tell you what,
0: it's a weird time. We're finishing up one year, ready to start another year, and so much hope for 2021. Hashtag, more fun in 2021 really uh you got to stay hopeful you got to stay positive uh try to find things that you can plan for and towards as, as we move into the new year and beyond Stay focused, stay fun, and keep rock and roll alive. We do our little part here uh, every every chance we get on the Imbalanced History. So thank you all for tuning in and making this a really amazing mm-hmm. year leading into 2021.
1: Yep, And because of you, we hit episode number 100. So thank you, thank Woo-hoo! you, thank you very much for that. And we're welcome to feedback. If we missed anything talking about Rocket 88 or we left anything out in the story, please email us, imbalancedhistory at gmail.com. Great way to communicate.
0: I'm going to get in my Rocket 88 Olds Delta.
1: <laughs> That's a classic motherfucker. <laughs>
0: Let me tell you, that is a classic. I'm getting in my Delta 88 right now. I'm going to pop in a K-Set tape, a Jackie Brenston, and we're going to cruise, man. I'm Ray Coop.
1: I'm Marcus in the Darkest.
0: We're hitting that Rocket 88 on the way out the door on the Imbalance History.
1: Uh, rock and roll.